Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chapter 16 of The Turn of the Screw by Henry James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 16. I had so perfectly expected that the return of my pupils would be marked by a demonstration that I was freshly upset at having to take into account that they were dumb about my absence. Instead of gaily denouncing and caressing me, they made no allusion to my having failed them, and I was left for the time on perceiving that she too said nothing to study Mrs. Gross's odd face. I did this to such purpose that I made sure they had in some way bribed her to silence, a silence that, however, I would engage to break down on the first private opportunity. This opportunity came before tea. I secured five minutes with her in the housekeeper's room, where, in the twilight, amid a smell of lately baked bread, but with the place all swept and garnished, I found her sitting in pained placidity before the fire. So I see her still, so I see her best, facing the flame from her straight chair in the dusky, shining room, a large, clean image of the put-away of drawers closed and locked and rest without a remedy. Oh, yes, they asked me to say nothing and to please them so long as they were there. Of course I promised, but what had happened to you? I only went with you for the walk, I said. I had then to come back to meet a friend. She showed her surprise. A friend? You? Oh, yes, I have a couple, I laughed. But did the children give you a reason? For not alluding to your leaving us, yes. They said you would like it better. Do you like it better? My face had made her rueful. No, I like it worse. But after an instant, I added, Did they say why I should like it better? No, Master Miles only said, We must do nothing but what she likes. I wish indeed he would. And what did Flora say? Miss Flora was too sweet. She said, Oh, of course, of course. And I said the same. I thought a moment. You were too sweet. Too. I can hear you all. But nonetheless, between Miles and me, it's now all out. All out? My companion stared. 
But what, miss? Everything. It doesn't matter. I've made up my mind. I came home, my dear, I went on, for a talk with Miss Jessel. I had, by this time, formed the habit of having Mrs. Gross literally well in hand in advance of my sounding that note, so that even now, as she bravely blinked under the signal of my word, I could keep her comparatively firm. A talk? Do you mean she spoke? It came to that. I found her on my return in the schoolroom. And what did she say? I can hear the good woman still, and the candour of her stupefaction, that she suffers the torments. It was this of a truth that made her, as she filled out my picture, gape. Do you mean, she faltered, of the lost, of the lost, of the damned, and that's why, to share them? I faltered myself with the horror of it, but my companion with less imagination kept me up. To share them? She wants Flora. Mrs. Gross might, as I gave it to her, fairly have fallen away from me had I not been prepared. I still held her there to show I was. As I've told you, however, it doesn't matter. Because you've made up your mind. But to what? To everything. And what do you call everything? Why sending for their uncle? Oh, miss, in pity do, my friend broke out. Ah, but I will, I will, I see it's the only way. What's out, as I told you with Miles, is that if he thinks I'm afraid to and has ideas of what he gains by that, he shall see he's mistaken. Yes, yes, his uncle shall have it here from me on the spot and before the boy himself, if necessary that if I'm prepared to be reproached with having done nothing again about more school... Yes, miss, my companion pressed me. Well, there's that awful reason. There were now clearly so many of these for my poor colleague that she was excusable for being vague. But a witch? Why, the letter from his old place. You show it to the master? I ought to have done so on the instant. Oh, no, said Mrs. Gross with decision. I'll put it before him, I went on inexorably, that I can't undertake to work the question on behalf of a child who has been expelled. For we've never in the least known what, Mrs. Gross declared. For wickedness, for what else, when he's so clever and beautiful and perfect? Is he stupid? Is he untidy? Is he infirm? Is he ill-natured? He's exquisite, so it can be only that, and that would open up the whole thing. After all, I said, it's their uncle's fault. If he left here such people, he didn't really in the least know them. The fault's mine. She had turned quite pale. Well, you shan't suffer, I answered. The children shan't, she emphatically returned. I was silent a while. We looked at each other. Then what am I to tell him? You needn't tell him anything. I'll tell him. I measured this. Do you mean you're right? Remembering she couldn't, I caught myself up. How do you communicate? I tell the bailiff. He writes. And should you like him to write our story? My question had a sarcastic force that I had not fully intended, and it made her, after a moment, inconsequently break down. The tears were again in her eyes. Ah, oh, miss, you write. 
Well, tonight, I at last answered, and on this we separated. End of chapter 16《Chapter Seventeen of the Turn of the Screw by Henry James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seventeen. I went so far in the evening as to make a beginning. The weather had changed back. A great wind was abroad, and beneath the lamp in my room, with Flora at peace beside me, I sat for a long time before a blank sheet of paper and listened to the lash of the rain and the batter of the gusts. Finally I went out, taking a candle. I crossed the passage and listened a minute at Miles's door. What, under my endless obsession, I had been impelled to listen for was some betrayal of his not being at rest, and I presently caught one, but not in the form I had expected. His voice tinkled out, I say, you there, come in. It was a gaiety, in the gloom. I went in with my light and found him in bed, very wide awake, but very much at his ease. Well, what are you up to? he asked with a grace of sociability, in which it occurred to me that Mrs. Gross, had she been present, might have looked in vain for proof that anything was out. I stood over him with my candle. How did you know I was there? Why, of course, I heard you. Did you fancy you made no noise? You're like a troop of cavalry. He beautifully laughed. Then you weren't asleep? Not much. I lie awake and think. I had put my candle designedly a short way off, and then, as he held out his friendly old hand to me, had sat down on the edge of his bed. What is it, I asked, that you think of? What in the world, my dear, but you? Ah, the pride I take in your appreciation doesn't insist on that. I had so far rather you slept. Well, I think also you know of this queer business of ours. I marked the coolness of his firm little hand. Of what queer business, Miles? Why, the way you bring me up and all the rest. I fairly held my breath a minute, and even from my glimmering taper, there was light enough to show how he smiled up at me from his pillow. What do you mean by all the rest? Oh, you know, you know. I could say nothing for a minute, though I felt, as I held his hand, and our eyes continued to meet, that my silence had all the air of admitting his charge, and that nothing in the whole world of reality was perhaps at that moment so fabulous as our actual relation. Certainly you shall go back to school, I said, if it be that that troubles you, but not to the old place. We must find another, a better. How could I know it did trouble you, this question, when you never told me so, never spoke of it at all? His clear, listening face, framed in its smooth whiteness, made him for the minute as appealing as some wistful patient in a children's hospital, and I would have given, as the resemblance came to me, all I possessed on earth, really, to be the nurse or the sister of charity who might have helped to cure him. Well, even as it was, I perhaps might help. Do you know you've never said a word to me about your school? I mean the old one. Never mentioned it in any way. 
He seemed to wonder. He smiled with the same loveliness. But he clearly gained time. He waited. He called for guidance. Haven't I? It wasn't for me to help him. It was for the thing I had met. Something in his tone and the expression of his face, as I got this from him, set my heart aching with such a pang as it had never yet known. So unutterably touching was it to see this little brain puzzled and his little resources taxed to play under the spell laid on him, a part of innocence and consistency. No, never from the hour you came back. You've never mentioned to me one of your masters, one of your comrades, nor the least little thing that ever happened to you at school. Never, little Miles, no, never, have you given me an inkling of anything that may have happened there. Therefore, you can fancy how much I'm in the dark. Until you came out that way this morning, you had, since the first hour I saw you, scarce even made a reference to anything in your previous life. You seem so perfectly to accept the present. It was extraordinary how my absolute conviction of his secret precocity, or whatever I might call the poison of an influence that I dared but half to phrase, made him, in spite of the faint breath of his inward trouble, appear as accessible as an older person, imposed him almost as an intellectual equal. I thought you wanted to go on as you are. It struck me that at this he just faintly coloured. He gave me, at any rate, like a convalescent, slightly fatigued, a languid shake of his head. I don't. I don't. I want to get away. You're tired of Bly? Oh, no, I like Bly. Well, then, oh, you know what a boy wants. I felt that I didn't know so well as Miles, and I took a temporary refuge. You want to go to your uncle? Again, at this, with his sweet, ironic face, he made a movement on the pillow. Ah, oh, you can't get off with that. I was silent a little, and it was I, now I think, who changed colour. My dear, I don't want to get off. Ah, you can't get off with that. I was silent a little, and it was I, now I think, who changed colour. My dear, I don't want to get off. You can't, even if you do. You can't, you can't. He lay beautifully staring. My uncle must come down. And you must completely settle things. If we do, I returned with some spirit, you may be sure it will be to take you quite away. Well, don't you understand that that's exactly what I'm working for? You'll have to tell him about the way you've let it all drop. You'll have to tell him a tremendous lot. The exultation with which he uttered this helped me somehow for the instant to meet him rather more. And how much will you, Miles, have to tell him? There are things he'll ask you. He turned it over. Very likely, but what things? The things you've never told me. To make up his mind what to do with you, he can't send you back. Oh, I don't want to go back, he broke in. I want a new field. He said it with admirable serenity, with positive, unimpeachable gaiety, and doubtless it was that very note that most evoked for me the poignancy 
the unnatural childish tragedy of his probable reappearance at the end of three months with all this bravado and still more dishonour. It overwhelmed me now that I should never be able to bear that, and it made me let myself go. I threw myself upon him, and in the tenderness of my pity, I embraced him. Dear little Miles, dear little Miles. My face was close to his, and he let me kiss him, simply taking it with indulgent good humour. Well, old lady, is there nothing, nothing at all that you want to tell me? He turned off a little, facing round toward the wall and holding up his hand to look at, as one had seen sick children look. I've told you, I told you this morning. Oh, I was sorry for him, that you just want me not to worry you? He looked round at me now as if in recognition of my understanding him, then ever so gently to let me alone, he replied. There was even a singular little dignity in it, something that made me release him, yet, when I had slowly risen, linger beside him. God knows I never wished to harass him, but I felt that merely at this, to turn my back on him was to abandon, or to put it more truly, to lose him. I've just begun a letter to your uncle, I said. Well then, finish it. I waited a minute. What happened before? He gazed up at me again. Before what? Before you came back and before you went away. For some time he was silent, but he continued to meet my eyes. What happened? It made me, the sound of the words, in which it seemed to me that I caught for the very first time a small, faint quaver of consenting consciousness. It made me drop on my knees beside the bed and seize once more the chance of possessing him. Dear little Miles, dear little Miles, if you knew how I want to help you, it's only that it's nothing but that. It's only that. It's nothing but that, and I'd rather die than give you a pain or do you a wrong. I'd rather die than hurt a hair of you. Dear little Miles, oh, I brought it out now, even if I shouldn't go too far. I just want you to help me to save you. But I knew in a moment after this that I had gone too far. The answer to my appeal was instantaneous, but it came in the form of an extraordinary blast and chill a gust of frozen air, and a shake of the room as great as if, in the wild wind, the casement had crashed in. The boy gave a loud, high shriek, which, lost in the rest of the shock of sound, might have seemed, indistinctly, though I was so close to him, a note either of jubilation or of terror. I jumped to my feet again and was conscious of darkness, so for a moment we remained, while I stared about me and saw that the drawn curtains were unstirred and the window tight. Why, the candle's out, I then cried. It was I who blew it, dear, said Miles. End of chapter 17Chapter 18 of The Turn of the Screw by Henry James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 18 The next day after lessons, Mrs. Gross found a moment to say to me quietly, Have you written, miss? 
Yes, I've written. But I didn't add, for the hour, that my letter, sealed and directed, was still in my pocket. There would be time enough to send it before the messenger should go to the village. Meanwhile, there had been, on the part of my pupils, no more brilliant, more exemplary morning. It was exactly as if they had both had a heart to gloss over any recent little friction. They performed the dizziest feats of arithmetic, soaring quite out of my feeble range, and perpetrated, in higher spirits than ever, geographical and historical jokes. It was conspicuous, of course, in Miles in particular, that he appeared to wish to show how easily he could let me down. This child, to my memory, really lives in a setting of beauty and misery, but no words can translate. There was a distinction all his own in every impulse he revealed. Never was a small natural creature to the uninitiated eye all frankness and freedom, a more ingenious, a more extraordinary little gentleman. I had perpetually to guard against the wonder of contemplation into which my initiated view betrayed me, to check the irrelevant gaze and discouraged sigh in which I constantly both attacked and renounced the enigma of what such a little gentleman could have done that deserved a penalty. Say that, by the dark prodigy I knew, the imagination of all evil had been opened up to him. All the justice within me ached for the proof that it could ever have flowered into an act. He had never, at any rate, been such a little gentleman as when, after our early dinner on this dreadful day, he came round to me and asked if I shouldn't like him for half an hour to play to me. David, playing to Saul, could never have shown a finer sense of the occasion. It was literally a charming exhibition of tact, of magnanimity, and quite tantamount to his saying outright, The true knights we love to read about never push an advantage too far. I know what you mean now. You mean that to be let alone yourself and not followed up, you'll cease to worry and spy upon me won't keep me so close to you, will let me go and come. Well, I come, you see, but I don't go. There'll be plenty of time for that. I do really delight in your society, and I only want to show you that I contended for a principle. It may be imagined whether I resisted this appeal or failed to accompany him again, hand in hand, to the schoolroom. He sat down at the old piano and played as if he had never played, and if there are those who think he had better have been kicking a football, I can only say that I wholly agree with them. For at the end of a time that under his influence I had quite ceased to measure, I started up with a strange sense of having literally slept at my post. It was after luncheon and by the schoolroom fire, and yet I hadn't really in the least slept. I had only done something much worse. I had forgotten. Where, all this time, was Flora? When I put the question to Miles, he played on a minute before answering, and then could only say, Why, my dear, how do I know? Breaking, moreover, into a happy laugh, which, immediately after, as if it were a vocal accompaniment, he prolonged into incoherent, extravagant song. I went straight to my room, but his sister was not there. 
Then, before going downstairs, I looked into several others. As she was nowhere about, she would surely be with Mrs. Gross, whom, in the comfort of that theory, I accordingly proceeded in quest of. I found her where I had found her the evening before, but she met my quick challenge with blank, scared ignorance. She had only supposed that, after the repast, I had carried off both the children, as to which she was quite in her right, for it was the very first time I had allowed the little girl out of my sight without some special provision. Of course, now indeed, she might be with the maids, so that the immediate thing was to look for her without an air of alarm. This we promptly arranged between us, but when, ten minutes later, and in pursuance of our arrangement we met in the hall, it was only to report on either side that after guarded inquiries we had altogether failed to trace her. For a minute there, apart from observation, we exchanged mute alarms, and I could feel with what high interest my friend returned me all those I had from the first given her. She'll be above, she presently said, in one of the rooms you haven't searched. No, she's at a distance. I had made up my mind. She has gone out. Mrs. Gross stared. Without a hat? I naturally also looked volumes. Isn't that woman always without one? She's with her? She's with her, I declared. We must find them. My hand was on my friend's arm, but she failed for the moment, confronted with such an account of the matter, to respond to my pressure. She communed on the contrary, on the spot, with her uneasiness. And where's Master Miles? Oh, he's with Quint. They're in the schoolroom. Lord, miss! My view, I was myself aware, and therefore, I suppose, my tone had never yet reached so calm an assurance. The tricks played, I went on. They've successfully worked their plan. He found the most divine little way to keep me quiet while she went off. Divine? Mrs. Gross bewilderedly echoed. Infernal, then, I almost cheerfully rejoined. He has provided for himself as well, but come. She had helplessly gloomed at the upper regions. You leave him? So long with Quint. Yes, I don't mind that now. She always ended at these moments by getting possession of my hand, and in this manner she could at present still stay me. But after gasping an instant at my sudden resignation, because of your letter, she eagerly brought out. I quickly, by way of answer, felt for my letter, drew it forth, held it up, and then, freeing myself, went and laid it on the great hall table. Luke will take it, I said as I came back. I reached the house door and opened it. I was already on the steps. My companion still demurred. The storm of the night and the early morning had dropped, but the afternoon was damp and grey. I came down to the drive while she stood in the doorway. You go with nothing on? What do I care when the child has nothing? I can't wait to dress. I cried, and if you must do so, I leave you. Try, meanwhile, yourself upstairs. With them? Oh, on this, the poor woman promptly joined me.
End of chapter 18「My acquaintance with sheets of water was small, and the pool of Bly, at all events on the few occasions of my consenting, under the protection of my pupils, to affront its surface in the old flat-bottomed boat, moored there for our use, had impressed me both with its extent and its agitation. The usual place of embarkation was half a mile from the house, but I had an intimate conviction that wherever Flora might be, she was not near home. She had not given me the slip for any small adventure, and since the day of the very great one that I had shared with her by the pond, I had been aware in our walks of the quarter to which she most inclined. This was why I had now given to Mrs. Gross's steps so marked a direction. A direction that made her, when she perceived it, Oppose a resistance that showed me she was freshly mystified. You're going to the water, miss? You think she's in? She may be, though the depth is, I believe, nowhere very great. But what I judge most likely is that she's on the spot from which, the other day, we saw together what I told you. When she pretended not to see? With that astounding self-possession... I've always been sure she wanted to go back alone, and now her brother has managed it for her. Mrs. Grose still stood where she had stopped. You suppose they really talk of them? I could meet this with a confidence. They say things that, if we heard them, would simply appall us. And if she is there? Yes. Then Miss Jessel is? Beyond a doubt, you shall see. Oh, thank you, my friend cried, planted so firm that in taking it in I went straight on without her. By the time I reached the pool, however, she was close behind me, and I knew that, whatever to her apprehension might befall me, the exposure of my society struck her as her least danger. She exhaled a moan of relief as we at last came in sight of the greater part of the water, without a sight of the child. There was no trace of Flora on that nearer side of the bank, where my observation of her had been most startling, and none on the opposite edge, where, save for a margin of some twenty yards, a thick copse came down to the water. The pond, oblong in shape, had a width so scant compared to its length, that, with its ends out of view, it might have been taken for a scant river. We looked at the empty expanse, and then I felt the suggestion of my friend's eyes. I knew what she meant, and I replied with a negative headshake. No, no, wait! She has taken the boat! My companion stared at the vacant mooring place, and then again across the lake. Then where is it? Our not seeing it is the strongest of proofs. She has used it to go over, and then has managed to hide it. All alone? 
that child? She's not alone, and at such times she's not a child. She's an old, old woman. I scanned all the visible shore while Mrs. Gross took again into the queer element I offered her, one of her plunges of submission. Then I pointed out that the boat might perfectly be in a small refuge formed by one of the recesses of the pool, an indentation masked for the hither side by a projection of the bank and by a clump of trees growing close to the water. But if the boat's there, where on earth's she? My colleague anxiously asked. That's exactly what we must learn, and I started to walk further. By going all the way round? Certainly, far as it is. It will take us but ten minutes, but it's far enough to have made the child prefer not to walk. She went straight over. Laws, cried my friend again. The chain of my logic was ever too much for her. It dragged her at my heels even now, and when we had got halfway round, a devious, tiresome process, on ground much broken and by a path choked with overgrowth, I paused to give her breath. I sustained her with a grateful arm, assuring her that she might hugely help me, and this started us afresh, so that in the course of but a few minutes more, we reached a point from which we found the boat to be where I had supposed it. It had been intentionally left as much as possible out of sight and was tied to one of the stakes of a fence that came just there down to the brink and that had been an assistance to disembarking. I recognised as I looked at the pair of short thick oars quite safely drawn up the prodigious character of the feat for a little girl, but I had lived by this time too long among wonders and had panted to too many livelier measures. There was a gate in the fence through which we passed, and that brought us, after a trifling interval, more into the open. Then, there she is, we both exclaimed at once. Flora, a short way off, stood before us on the grass and smiled as if her performance was now complete. The next thing she did, however, was to stoop straight down and pluck, quite as if it were all she was there for, a big, ugly spray of withered fern. I instantly became sure she had just come out of the copse. She waited for us, not herself taking a step, and I was conscious of the rare solemnity with which we presently approached her. She smiled and smiled, and we met, but it was all done in a silence by this time, flagrantly ominous. Mrs. Gross was the first to break the spell. She threw herself on her knees, and drawing the child to her breast, clasped in a long embrace the little tender yielding body. While this dumb convulsion lasted, I could only watch it, which I did the more intently, when I saw Flora's face peep at me over our companion's shoulder. It was serious now. The flicker had left it, but it strengthened the pang with which I at that moment envied Mrs. Gross, the simplicity of her relation. Still, all this while, Nothing more passed between us, save that Flora had let her foolish fern again drop to the ground. What she and I had virtually said to each other was that pretexts were useless now. 
When Mrs. Gross finally got up, she kept the child's hand, so that the two were still before me, and the singular reticence of our communion was even more marked in the frank look she launched me. I'll be hanged, it said, if I'll speak. It was Flora who, gazing all over me in candid wonder, was the first. She was struck with our bareheaded aspect. Why, where are your things? Where yours are, my dear, I promptly returned. She had already got back her gaiety and appeared to take this as an answer quite sufficient. And where's Miles? she went on. There was something in the small valour of it that quite finished me. These three words from her were, in a flash, like the glitter of a drawn blade, the jostle of the cup that my hand, for weeks and weeks, had held high and full to the brim, that now, even before speaking, I felt overflow in a deluge. I'll tell you if you'll tell me, I heard myself say, then heard the tremor in it, which it broke. Well, what? Mrs. Gross's suspense blazed at me, but it was too late now, and I brought the thing out handsomely. Where, my pet, is Miss Jessel? End of chapter 19Chapter 20 of The Turn of the Screw by Henry James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 20 Just as in the churchyard with Miles, the whole thing was upon us. Much as I had made of the fact that this name had never once between us been sounded, the quick, smitten glare with which the child's face now received it fairly likened my breach of the silence to the smash of a pane of glass. It added to the interposing cry, as if to stay the blow, that Mrs. Gross, at the same instant, uttered over my violence the shriek of a creature scared, or rather wounded, which in turn, within a few seconds, was completed by a gasp of my own. I seized my colleague's arm. She's there, she's there. Miss Jessel stood before us on the opposite bank, exactly as she had stood the other time, and I remember, strangely, as the first feeling now produced in me, my thrill of joy at having brought on a proof. She was there, and I was justified. She was there, and I was neither cruel nor mad. She was there for poor, scared Mrs. Gross, but she was there most for Flora and no moment of my monstrous time was perhaps so extraordinary as that in which I consciously threw out to her, with the sense that, pale and ravenous demon as she was, she would catch and understand it, an inarticulate message of gratitude. She rose erect on the spot my friend and I had lately quitted, and there was not, in all the long reach of her desire, an inch of her evil that fell short. This first vividness of vision and emotion were things of a few seconds, during which Mrs. Gross's dazed blink across to where I pointed struck me as a sovereign sign that she too at last saw, just as it carried my own eyes precipitately to the child. 
the revelation then of the manner in which flora was affected startled me in truth far more than it would have done to find her also merely agitated for direct dismay was of course not what i had expected prepared and on her guard as our pursuit had actually made her she would repress every betrayal and i was therefore shaken on the spot by my first glimpse of the particular one for which i had not allowed to see her without a convulsion of her small pink face not even feign to glance in the direction of the prodigy i announced but only instead of that turn at me an expression of hard still gravity an expression absolutely new and unprecedented and that appeared to read and accuse and judge me this was a stroke that somehow converted the little girl herself into the very presence that could make me quail i quailed even though my certitude that she thoroughly saw was never greater than at that instant and in the immediate need to defend myself i called it passionately to witness she's there you little unhappy thing there 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 and you see her as well as you see me i had said shortly before to mrs gross that she was not at these times a child but an old old woman and that description of her could not have been more strikingly confirmed than in the way in which for all answer to this she simply showed me without a concession an admission of her eyes a countenance of deeper and deeper of indeed suddenly quite fixed reprobation i was by this time if i can put the whole thing at all together more appalled at what i may properly call her manner than at anything else though it was simultaneously with this that i became aware of having mrs gross also and very formidably to reckon with my elder companion the next moment at any rate blotted out everything but her own flushed face and her loud shocked protest a burst of high disapproval what a dreadful turn to be sure miss where on earth do you see anything i could only grasp her more quickly yet for even while she spoke the hideous plain presence stood undimmed and undaunted it had already lasted a minute and it lasted while i continued seizing my colleague quite thrusting her at it and presenting her to it to insist with my pointing hand you don't see her exactly as we see you mean to say you don't now now she's as big as a blazing fire only look dearest woman look she looked even as i did and gave me with her deep groan of negation repulsion compassion the mixture with her pity of her relief at her exemption a sense touching to me even then that she would have backed me up if she could i might well have needed that for with this hard blow of the proof that her eyes were hopelessly sealed i felt my own situation horribly crumble i felt i saw my livid predecessor press from her position on my defeat and i was conscious more than all of what i should have from this instant to deal with in the astounding little attitude of flora 
Into this attitude Mrs. Gross immediately and violently entered, breaking, even while there pierced through my sense of ruin, a prodigious private triumph, into breathless reassurance. She isn't there, little lady, and nobody's there, and you never see nothing, my sweet. How can poor Miss Jessel, when poor Miss Jessel's dead and buried? We know, don't we, love? And she appealed, blundering in to the child. It's all a mere mistake and a worry and a joke, and we'll go home as fast as we can. Our companion on this had responded with a strange, quick primness of propriety, and they were again with Mrs. Gross on her feet, united, as it were, in pained opposition to me. Flora continued to fix me with her small mask of reprobation, and even at that minute I prayed God to forgive me for seeming to see that, as she stood there holding tight to our friend's dress, her incomparable childish beauty had suddenly failed, had quite vanished. I've said it already. She was literally, she was hideously hard. She had turned common and almost ugly. I don't know what you mean. I see nobody. I see nothing. I never have. I think you're cruel. I don't like you. Then after this deliverance, which might have been that of a vulgarly pert little girl in the street, she hugged Mrs. Gross more closely and buried in her skirts the dreadful little face. In this position, she produced an almost furious wail. Take me away! Take me away! Oh, take me away from her! From me! I panted. From you! From you! She cried. Even Mrs. Gross looked across at me dismayed, while I had nothing to do but communicate again with the figure that, on the opposite bank, without a movement, as rigidly still as if catching beyond the interval our voices, was as vividly there for my disaster as it was not there for my service. The wretched child had spoken exactly as if she had got from some outside source each of her stabbing little words, and I could therefore, in the full despair of all I had to accept, but sadly shake my head at her. If I had ever doubted, all my doubt would at present have gone. I've been living with the miserable truth, and now it has only too much closed round me. Of course I've lost you. I've interfered, and you've seen, under her dictation, with which I faced over the pool again, our infernal witness. The easy and perfect way to meet it. I've done my best, but I've lost you. Goodbye. For Mrs. Gross, I had an imperative, an almost frantic, go, go, before which, in infinite distress, but mutely possessed of the little girl and clearly convinced, in spite of her blindness, that something awful had occurred, and some collapse engulfed us. She retreated, by the way we had come, as fast as she could move. Of what first happened when I was left alone I had no subsequent memory. I only knew that at the end of, I suppose, a quarter of an hour, an odorous dampness and roughness, chilling and piercing my trouble, had made me understand that I must have thrown myself on my face on the ground and given way to a wildness of grief. I must have lain there long and cried and sobbed, for when I raised my head, the day was almost done. 
I got up and looked a moment through the twilight at the grey pool and its blank, haunted edge, and then I took, back to the house, my dreary and difficult course. When I reached the gate in the fence, the boat, to my surprise, was gone, so that I had a fresh reflection to make on Flora's extraordinary command of the situation. She passed that night by the most tacit, and I should add, were not the words so grotesque a false note, the happiest of arrangements with Mrs. Gross. I saw neither of them on my return, but, on the other hand, as by an ambiguous compensation, I saw a great deal of miles. I saw, I can use no other phrase, so much of him that it was as if it were more than it had ever been. No evening I had passed at Bly had the portentous quality of this one, in spite of which, and in spite also of the deeper depths of consternation that had opened beneath my feet, there was literally in the ebbing actual an extraordinarily sweet sadness. On reaching the house, I had never so much as looked for the boy. I had simply gone straight to my room to change what I was wearing and to take in, at a glance, much material testimony to Flora's rupture. Her little belongings had all been removed. When later, by the schoolroom fire, I was served with tea by the usual maid, I indulged on the article of my other pupil in no inquiry whatever. He had his freedom now. He might have it to the end. Well, he did have it, and it consisted, in part at least, of his coming in at about eight o'clock and sitting down with me in silence. On the removal of the tea things, I had blown out the candles and drawn my chair closer. I was conscious of a mortal coldness and felt as if I should never again be warm. So when he appeared, I was sitting in the glow with my thoughts. He paused a moment by the door, as if to look at me, then, as if to share them, came to the other side of the hearth and sank into a chair. We sat there in absolute stillness, yet he wanted, I felt, to be with me. End of chapter 20「Twenty One of the Turn of the Screw by Henry James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty One Before a new day in my room had fully broken, my eyes opened to Mrs. Gross, who had come to my bedside with worse news. Flora was so markedly feverish that an illness was perhaps at hand. She had passed a night of extreme unrest a night agitated above all by fears that had for their subject, not in the least her former, but wholly her present governess. It was not against the possible re-entrance of Miss Jessel on the scene that she protested. It was conspicuously and passionately against mine. I was promptly on my feet, of course, with an immense deal to ask, the more that my friend had discernibly now girded her loins to meet me once more. This, I felt, as soon as I had put to her the question of her sense of the child's sincerity as against my own. She persists in denying to you that she saw or has ever seen anything? My visitor's trouble truly was great. Ah, oh, miss, it isn't a matter on which I can push her, 
yet it isn't either i must say as if i much needed to it has made her every inch of her quite old oh i see her perfectly from here she resents for all the world like some high little personage the imputation on her truthfulness and as it were her respectability miss jessel indeed she ah she's respectable the chit the impression she gave me there yesterday was i assure you the very strangest of all it was quite beyond any of the others i did put my foot in it she'll never speak to me again hideous and obscure as it all was it held mrs gross briefly silent then she granted my point with a frankness which i made sure had more behind it i think indeed miss she never will she do have a grand manner about it and that manner i summed it up is practically what's the matter with her now oh that manner i could see in my visitor's face and not a little else besides she asks me every three minutes if i think you're coming in i see i see i too on my side had so much more than worked it out has she said to you since yesterday except to repudiate her familiarity with anything so dreadful a single other word about miss jessel not one miss and of course you know my friend added i took it from her by the lake that just then and there at least there was nobody rather and naturally you take it from her still i don't contradict her what else can i do nothing in the world you're the cleverest little person to deal with they've made them their two friends i mean still cleverer even than nature did for it was wondrous material to play on flora has now her grievance and she'll work it to the end yes miss but to what end why that of dealing with me to her uncle she'll make me out to him the lowest creature i winced at the fair show of the scene in mrs gross's face she looked for a minute as if she sharply saw them together and him who thinks so well of you he has an odd way it comes over me now i laughed of proving it but that doesn't matter what flora wants of course is to get rid of me my companion bravely concurred never again to so much as look at you so that's what you've come to me now for i asked is to speed me on my way before she had time to reply however i had her in check i've a better idea the result of my reflections my going would seem the right thing and on sunday i was terribly near it yet that won't do it's you who must go you must take flora my visitor at this did speculate but where in the world away from here away from them away even most of all now from me straight to her uncle only to tell on you no not only to leave me in addition with my remedy she was still vague and what is your remedy your loyalty to begin with and then miles's she looked at me hard do you think he won't if he has the chance turn on me yes i venture still to think it at all events i want to try get off with his sister as soon as possible and leave me with him alone 
I was amazed myself at the spirit I had still in reserve, and therefore, perhaps, a trifle the more disconcerted at the way in which, in spite of this fine example of it, she hesitated. There's one thing, of course, I went on. They mustn't, before she goes, see each other for three seconds. Then it came over me that, in spite of Flora's presumable sequestration from the instant of her return from the pool, it might already be too late. Do you mean, I anxiously asked, that they have met? At this, she quite flushed. Ah, oh, miss, I'm not such a fool as that. If I've been obliged to leave her three or four minutes, it has been each time with one of the maids, and at present, though she's alone, she's locked in safe, and yet, and yet, there were too many things. And yet what? Well, are you so sure of the little gentleman? I'm not sure of anything but you, but I have, since last evening, a new hope. I think he wants to give me an opening. I do believe that, poor little exquisite wretch, he wants to speak. Last evening in the firelight and the silence he sat with me for two hours, as if it were just coming. Mrs. Gross looked hard through the window at the grey gathering day. And did it come? No, though I waited and waited, I confess it didn't, and it was without a breach of the silence or so much as a faint allusion to his sister's condition and absence that we at last kissed for good night. All the same, I continued, I can't, if her uncle sees her, consent to his seeing her brother without my having given the boy, and most of all because things have got so bad, a little more time. My friend appeared on this ground more reluctant than I could quite understand. What do you mean by more time? Well, a day or two, really, to bring it out. He'll then be on my side, of which you see the importance. If nothing comes, I shall only fail, and you will at the worst have helped me by doing, on your arrival in town, whatever you may have found possible. So I put it before her, but she continued for a little so inscrutably embarrassed that I came again to her aid. Unless, indeed, I wound up, you really want not to go. I could see it in her face, at last, clear itself. She put out her hand to me as a pledge. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go this morning. I wanted to be very just. If you should wish still to wait, I would engage she shouldn't see me. No, no, it's the place itself. She must leave it. She held me a moment with heavy eyes, then brought out the rest. Your idea's the right one. I myself, miss. Well, I can't stay. The look she gave me with it made me jump at possibilities. You mean that, since yesterday, you have seen... She shook her head with dignity. I've heard, heard, from that child. Horrors. There, she sighed with tragic relief. On my honour, miss, she says things. But at this evocation she broke down. She dropped with a sudden sob upon my sofa and, as I have seen her do before, gave way to all the grief of it. It was quite in another manner that I, for my part, let myself go. Oh, thank God. She sprang up again at this, drying her eyes with a groan. Thank God? 
It so justifies me. It does that, miss. I couldn't have desired more emphasis, but I just hesitated. She's so horrible. I saw my colleague scarce knew how to put it. Really shocking. And about me? About you, miss, since you must have it. It's beyond everything for a young lady, and I can't think wherever she must have picked up the appalling language she applied to me. I can then, I broke in with a laugh that was doubtless significant enough. It only in truth left my friend still more grave. Well, perhaps I ought to also, since I've heard some of it before, yet I can't bear it. The poor woman went on while, with the same movement, she glanced on my dressing table at the face of my watch, but I must go back. I kept her, however. Ah, if you can't bear it. How can I stop with her, you mean? Well, just for that, to get her away. Far from this, she pursued. Far from them. She may be different. She may be free. I seized her almost with joy. Then in spite of yesterday, you believe in such doings? Her simple description of them required, in the light of her expression, to be carried no further, and she gave me the whole thing as she had never done. I believe. Yes, it was a joy, and we were still shoulder to shoulder. If I might continue sure of that, I should care but little what else happened. My support in the presence of disaster would be the same as it had been in my early need of confidence. And if my friend would answer for my honesty, I would answer for all the rest. On the point of taking leave of her, nonetheless, I was to some extent embarrassed. There's one thing, of course, it occurs to me, to remember. My letter giving the alarm will have reached town before you. I now perceived still more how she had been beating about the bush and how weary at last it had made her. Your letter won't have got there. Your letter never went. What then became of it? Goodness knows. Master Miles? Do you mean he took it? I gasped. She hung fire, but she overcame her reluctance. I mean that I saw yesterday when I came back with Miss Flora that it wasn't where you had put it. Later in the evening, I had the chance to question Luke, and he declared that he had neither noticed nor touched it. We could only exchange on this one of our deeper mutual soundings, and it was Mrs. Gross who first brought up the plum with an almost elated, You see? Yes, I see that if Miles took it instead, he probably will have read it and destroyed it. And don't you see anything else? I faced her a moment with a sad smile. It strikes me that by this time your eyes are open even wider than mine. They proved to be so indeed, but she could still blush almost to show it. I make out now what he must have done at school, and she gave, in her simple sharpness, an almost droll disillusioned nod. He stole. I turned it over. I tried to be more judicial. Well, perhaps. She looked as if she found me unexpectedly calm. He stole letters. 
She couldn't know my reasons for a calmness after all pretty shallow, so I showed them off as I might. I hope then it was to more purpose than in this case, the note at any rate that I put on the table yesterday, I pursued, will have given him so scant an advantage, for it contained only the bare demand for an interview, that he is already much ashamed of having gone so far for so little, and that what he had on his mind last evening was precisely the need of confession. I seemed to myself for the instant to have mastered it, to see it all. Leave us, leave us. I was already at the door, hurrying her off. I'll get it out of him. He'll meet me. He'll confess. If he confesses, he's saved. And if he's saved, then you are. The dear woman kissed me on this, and I took her farewell. I'll save you without him, she cried as she went. End of chapter 21「Twenty Two of the Turn of the Screw by Henry James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Two Yet it was when she had got off and I missed her on the spot that the great pinch really came. If I had counted on what it would give me to find myself alone with Miles, I speedily perceived, at least, that it would give me a measure. No hour of my stay, in fact, was so assailed with apprehensions as that of my coming down to learn that the carriage containing Mrs. Gross and my younger pupil had already rolled out of the gates. Now I was, I said to myself, face to face with the elements, and for much of the rest of the day, while I fought my weakness, I could consider that I had been supremely rash. It was a tighter place still than I had yet turned round in, all the more that, for the first time, I could see in the aspect of others a confused reflection of the crisis. What had happened naturally caused them all to stare. There was too little of the explained, throw out whatever we might, in the suddenness of my colleague's act. The maids and the men looked blank, the effect of which on my nerves was an aggravation, until I saw the necessity of making it a positive aid. It was precisely, in short, by just clutching the helm that I avoided total wreck, and I dare say that, to bear up at all, I became that morning very grand and very dry. I welcomed the consciousness that I was charged with much to do, and I caused it to be known as well that, left thus to myself, I was quite remarkably firm. I wandered with that manner for the next hour or two all over the place, and looked, I have no doubt, as if I were ready for any onset. So, for the benefit of whom it might concern, I paraded with a sick heart. The person it appeared least to concern proved to be, till dinner, little Miles himself. My perambulations had given me, meanwhile, no glimpse of him, but they had tended to make more public the change taking place in our relation as a consequence of his having at the piano the day before kept me in Flora's interest so beguiled and befooled. The stamp of publicity had, of course, been fully given by her confinement and departure, and the change itself was now ushered in by our non-observance of the regular custom of the schoolroom. 
he had already disappeared when, on my way down, I pushed open his door and I learned below that he had breakfasted in the presence of a couple of the maids with Mrs. Gross and his sister. He had then gone out, as he said, for a stroll, than which nothing I reflected could better have expressed his frank view of the abrupt transformation of my office. What he would not permit this office to consist of was yet to be settled. There was a queer relief at all events, I mean for myself in especial, in the renouncement of one's pretension. If so much had sprung to the surface, I scarce put it too strongly in saying that what had perhaps sprung highest was the absurdity of our prolonging the fiction that I had anything more to teach him. It sufficiently struck out that, by tacit little tricks in which even more than myself he carried out the care for my dignity, I had had to appeal to him to let me off straining to meet him on the ground of his true capacity. He had at any rate his freedom now. I was never to touch it again, as I had amply shown moreover when, on his joining me in the schoolroom the previous night, I had uttered on the subject of the interval just concluded neither challenge nor hint. I had too much from this moment my other ideas, yet when he at last arrived, the difficulty of applying them, the accumulations of my problem, were brought straight home to me by the beautiful little presence on which what had occurred had as yet for the eye dropped neither stain nor shadow. To mark for the house the high state I cultivated, I agreed that my meals with the boys should be served, as we called it, downstairs, so that I had been awaiting him in the ponderous pomp of the room outside of the window, of which I had had from Mrs. Gross, that first scared Sunday, my flash of something it would scarce have done to call light. Here at present I felt afresh, for I had felt it again and again, how my equilibrium depended on the success of my rigid will, the will to shut my eyes as tight as possible, to the truth that what I had to deal with was, revoltingly, against nature. I could only get on at all by taking nature into my confidence and my account, by treating my monstrous ordeal as a push in a direction unusual, of course, and unpleasant, but demanding, after all, for a fair front, only another turn of the screw of ordinary human virtue. No attempt, nonetheless, could well require more tact than just this attempt to supply oneself all the nature. How could I put even a little of that article into a suppression of reference to what had occurred? How, on the other hand, could I make reference without a new plunge into the hideous, obscure? Well, a sort of answer after a time had come to me, and it was so far confirmed, as that I was met incontestably by the quickened vision of what was rare in my little companion. It was indeed as if he had found, even now, as he had so often found at lessons, still some other delicate way to ease me off. Wasn't there light in the fact which, as we shared our solitude, broke out with a specious glitter it had never quite worn? 
the fact that opportunity aiding, precious opportunity which had now come, it would be preposterous with a child so endowed to forego the help one might wrest from absolute intelligence. What had his intelligence been given him for but to save him? Mightn't one to reach his mind risk the stretch of an angular arm over his character? It was as if, when we were face to face in the dining room, he had literally shown me the way. The roast mutton was on the table, and I had dispensed with attendance. Miles, before he sat down, stood a moment with his hands in his pockets and looked at the joint, on which he seemed on the point of passing some humorous judgment. But what he presently produced was, I say, my dear, is she really very awfully ill? Little Flora? Not so bad, but that she'll presently be better. London will set her up. Bly has ceased to agree with her. Come here and take your mutton. He alertly obeyed me, carried the plate carefully to his seat, and when he was established, went on. Did Bly disagree with her so terribly suddenly? Not so suddenly as you might think. One had seen it coming on. Then why didn't you get her off before? Before what? Before she became too ill to travel? I found myself prompt. She's not too ill to travel. She only might have become so if she had stayed. This was just the moment to seize. The journey will dissipate the influence. Oh, I was grand. And carry it off. I see. I see. Miles, for that matter, was grand too. He settled to his repast with the charming little table manner that, from the day of his arrival, had relieved me of all grossness of admonition. Whatever he had been driven from school for, it was not for ugly feeding. He was irreproachable as always today, but he was unmistakably more conscious. He was discernibly trying to take for granted more things than he found, without assistance quite easy, and he dropped into peaceful silence while he felt his situation. Our meal was of the briefest, mine a vain pretense, and I had the things immediately removed. While this was done, Miles stood again with his hands in his little pockets and his back to me stood and looked out of the wide window through which, that other day, I had seen what pulled me up. We continued silent while the maid was with us, as silent, it whimsically occurred to me, as some young couple who, on their wedding journey at the inn, feel shy in the presence of the waiter. He turned round only when the waiter had left us. Well, so we're alone. End of chapter 22。Chapter 23 。Oh, more or less. I fancy my smile was pale. Not absolutely. We shouldn't like that, I went on. No, I suppose we shouldn't. Of course we have the others. We have the others. We have indeed the others, I concurred. Yet even though we have them, he returned, still with his hands in his pockets and planted there in front of me, 
They don't much count, do they? I made the best of it, but I felt one. It depends on what you call much. Yes, with all accommodation, everything depends. On this, however, he faced to the window again and presently reached it with his vague, restless, cogitating step. He remained there a while with his forehead against the glass, in contemplation of the stupid shrubs I knew and the dull things of November. I had always my hypocrisy of work, behind which now I gained the sofa. Steadying myself with it there as I had repeatedly done at those moments of torment that I have described as the moments of my knowing the children to be given to something from which I was barred, I sufficiently obeyed my habit of being prepared for the worst. But an extraordinary impression dropped on me as I extracted a meaning from the boy's embarrassed back, none other than the impression that I was not barred now. This inference grew in a few minutes to sharp intensity and seemed bound up with the direct perception that it was positively he who was. The frames and squares of the great window were a kind of image, for him, of a kind of failure. I felt that I saw him at any rate, shut in or shut out. He was admirable, but not comfortable. I took it in with a throb of hope. Wasn't he looking through the haunted pane for something he couldn't see? And wasn't it the first time in the whole business that he had known such a lapse? The very first, the very first, I found it a splendid portent. It made him anxious, though he watched himself. He had been anxious all day, and even while in his usual sweet little manner he sat at table, had needed all his small strange genius to give it a gloss. When he at last turned round to meet me, it was almost as if this genius had succumbed. Well, I think I'm glad Bly agrees with me. You would certainly seem to have seen these 24 hours, a good deal more of it than for some time before, I hope, I went on bravely, that you've been enjoying yourself. Oh, yes, I've been ever so far, all round about, miles and miles away. I've never been so free. Had he really a manner of his own and I could only try to keep up with him? Well, do you like it? He stood there smiling. Then at last he put into two words. Do you? More discrimination than I had ever heard two words contain. Before I had time to deal with that, however, he continued as if with the sense that this was an impertinence to be softened. Nothing could be more charming than the way you take it, for of course, if we're alone together, now it's you that are alone most, but I hope, he threw in, you don't particularly mind. Having to do with you, I asked, my dear child, how can I help minding? Though I've renounced all claim to your company, you're so beyond me, I at least greatly enjoy it. What else should I stay on for? He looked at me more directly and the expression of his face, graver now, struck me as the most beautiful I had ever found in it. You stay on just for that? Certainly. I stay on as your friend and from the tremendous interest I take in you till something can be done for you that may be more worth your while. 
that needn't surprise you. My voice trembled so that I felt it impossible to suppress the shake. Don't you remember how I told you when I came and sat on your bed the night of the storm that there was nothing in the world I wouldn't do for you? Yes, yes. He, on his side, more and more visibly nervous, had a tone to master, but he was so much more successful than I that laughing out through his gravity, he could pretend we were pleasantly jesting. Only that, I think, was to get me to do something for you. It was partly to get you to do something, I conceded. But you know you didn't do it. Oh, yes, he said with the brightest superficial eagerness. You wanted me to tell you something. That's it. Out. Straight out. What you have on your mind, you know. Ah, then is that what you stayed over for? He spoke with a gaiety through which I could still catch the finest little quiver of resentful passion, but I can't begin to express the effect upon me of an implication of surrender, even so faint. It was as if what I had yearned for had come at last only to astonish me. Well, yes, I may as well make a clean breast of it. It was precisely for that. He waited so long that I supposed it for the purpose of repudiating the assumption on which my action had been founded. But what he finally said was, Do you mean now? Here? There couldn't be a better place or time. He looked round him uneasily, and I had the rare, oh, the queer impression of the very first symptom I had seen in him of the approach of immediate fear. It was as if he were suddenly afraid of me, which struck me indeed as perhaps the best thing to make him. Yet in the very pang of the effort, I felt it vain to try sternness, and I heard myself the next instant so gentle as to be almost grotesque. You want so to go out again? Awfully. He smiled at me heroically, and the touching little bravery of it was enhanced by his actually flushing with pain. He had picked up his hat, which he had brought in, and stood twirling it in a way that gave me, even as I was just nearly reaching port, a perverse horror of what I was doing. To do it in any way was an act of violence, for what did it consist of but the obtrusion of the idea of grossness and guilt on a small, helpless creature who had been for me a revelation of the possibilities of beautiful intercourse? Wasn't it base to create for a being so exquisite a mere alien awkwardness? I suppose I now read into our situation a clearness it couldn't have had at the time, for I seem to see our poor eyes already lighted with some spark of a provision of the anguish that was to come. So we circled about with terrors and scruples, like fighters not daring to close. But it was for each other we feared, that kept us a little longer suspended and unbruised. I'll tell you everything. Miles said. I mean, I'll tell you anything you like. You'll stay on with me, and we shall both be all right, and I will tell you I will. But not now. Why not now? 
my insistence turned him from me and kept him once more at his window in a silence during which between us you might have heard a pin drop then he was before me again with the air of a person for whom outside someone who had frankly to be reckoned with was waiting i have to see luke i had not yet reduced him to quite so vulgar a lie and i felt proportionately ashamed but horrible as it was his lies made up my truth i achieved thoughtfully a few loops of my knitting well then go to luke and i'll wait for what you promise only in return for that satisfy before you leave me one very much smaller request he looked as if he felt he had succeeded enough to be able still a little to bargain very much smaller yes a mere fraction of the whole tell me oh my work preoccupied me and i was off-hand if yesterday afternoon from the table in the hall you took you know my letter end of chapter 23chapter 24 of the turn of the screw by henry james this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter 24 my sense of how he received this suffered for a minute from something that i can describe only as a fierce split of my attention a stroke that at first as i sprang straight up reduced me to the mere blind movement of getting hold of him drawing him close and while i just fell for support against the nearest piece of furniture instinctively keeping him with his back to the window the appearance was full upon us that i had already had to deal with here peter quint had come into view like a sentinel before a prison the next thing I saw was that, from outside, he had reached the window, and then I knew that, close to the glass and glaring in through it, he offered once more to the room his white face of damnation. It represents but grossly what took place within me, at the sight to say that on the second my decision was made, yet I believe that no woman so overwhelmed ever in so short a time recovered her grasp of the act it came to me in the very horror of the immediate presence that the act would be seeing and facing what i saw and faced to keep the boy himself unaware the inspiration i can call it by no other name was that i felt how voluntarily how transcendently i might it was like fighting with a demon for a human soul and when i had fairly so appraised it I saw how the human soul held out, in the tremor of my hands, at arm's length, had a perfect dew of sweat on a lovely childish forehead. The face that was so close to mine was as white as the face against the glass, and out of it presently came a sound, not low nor weak, but as if from much further away that I drank like a waft of fragrance yes i took it at this with a moan of joy i enfolded i drew him close and while i held him to my breast where i could feel in the sudden fever of his little body the tremendous pulse of his little heart 
I kept my eyes on the thing at the window and saw it move and shift its posture. I have likened it to a sentinel, but its slow wheel for a moment was rather the prowl of a baffled beast. My present quickened courage, however, was such that, not too much to let it through, I had to shade, as it were, my flame. Meanwhile the glare of the face was again at the window, the scoundrel fixed as if to watch and wait. It was the very confidence that I might now defy him, as well as the positive certitude, by this time, of the child's unconsciousness that made me go on. What did you take it for? To see what you said about me. You opened the letter? I opened it. My eyes were now, as I held him off a little again, on Miles's own face, in which the collapse of mockery showed me how complete was the ravage of uneasiness. What was prodigious was that at last, by my success, his sense was sealed and his communication stopped. He knew that he was in presence, but knew not of what, and knew still less that I also was and that I did know. And what did this strain of trouble matter when my eyes went back to the window, only to see that the air was clear again, and, by my personal triumph, the influence quenched? There was nothing there, and I felt that the cause was mine, and that I should surely get all. And you found nothing. I let my elation out. He gave the most mournful, thoughtful little headshake. Nothing. Nothing, nothing, I almost shouted in my joy. Nothing, nothing, he sadly repeated. I kissed his forehead, it was drenched. So what have you done with it? I've burned it. Burned it? It was now or never. Is that what you did at school? Oh, what this brought up? At school? Did you take letters or other things? other things? He appeared now to be thinking of something far off, and that reached him only through the pressure of his anxiety. Yet it did reach him. Did I steal? I felt myself redden to the roots of my hair as well as wonder if it were more strange to put to a gentleman such a question, or to see him take it with allowances that gave the very distance of his fall in the world. Was it for that you mightn't go back? The only thing he felt was rather a dreary little surprise. Did you know I mightn't go back? I know everything. He gave me at this the longest and strangest look. Everything? Everything. Therefore, did you? But I couldn't say it again. Miles could, very simply. No. I didn't steal. My face must have shown him I believed him utterly, yet my hands, but it was for pure tenderness, shook him as if to ask him why, if it was all for nothing, he had condemned me to months of torment. What then did you do? He looked in vague pain all round the top of the room and drew his breath two or three times over, as if with difficulty. He might have been standing at the bottom of the sea and raising his eyes to some faint green twilight. Well, I said things. Only that? They thought it was enough. 
to turn you out for? Never truly had a person turned out shown so little to explain it as this little person. He appeared to weigh my question, but in a manner quite detached and almost helpless. Well, I suppose I oughtn't. But to whom did you say them? He evidently tried to remember, but it dropped. He had lost it. I don't know. He almost smiled at me in the desolation of his surrender, which was indeed practically by this time so complete that I ought to have left it there. But I was infatuated. I was blind with victory, though even then the very effect that was to have brought him so much nearer was already that of added separation. Was it to everyone? I asked. No, it was only two, but he gave a sick little headshake. I don't remember their names. Were they then so many? No, only a few. Those I liked. Those he liked? I seemed to float, not into clearness, but into a darker obscure, and within a minute there had come to me, out of my very pity, the appalling alarm of his being, perhaps, innocent. It was for the instant confounding and bottomless, for if he were innocent, what then on earth was I? Paralysed while it lasted by the mere brush of the question, I let him go a little, so that, with a deep-drawn sigh, he turned away from me again, which, as he faced toward the clear window, I suffered, feeling that I had nothing now there to keep him from. And did they repeat what you said? I went on after a moment. He was soon at some distance from me, still breathing hard and again with the air, though now without anger for it, of being confined against his will. Once more, as he had done before, he looked up at the dim day as if, of what had hitherto sustained him, nothing was left but an unspeakable anxiety. Oh, yes, he nevertheless replied, they must have repeated them, to those they liked he added. There was somehow less of it than I had expected, but I turned it over. And these things came round to the masters. Oh, yes, he answered very simply. But I didn't know they'd tell. The masters? They didn't. They've never told. That's why I ask you. He turned to me again, his little beautiful fevered face. Yes, it was too bad too bad? What I suppose I sometimes said, to write home. I can't name the exquisite pathos of the contradiction given to such a speech by such a speaker. I only know that the next instant I heard myself throw off with homely force, stuff and nonsense, but the next after that I must have sounded stern enough. What were these things? My sternness was all for his judge, his executioner, yet it made him avert himself again, and that movement made me, with a single bound and an irrepressible cry, spring straight upon him. For there again against the glass, as if to blight his confession and stay his answer, was the hideous author of our woe, the white face of damnation. I felt a sick swim at the drop of my victory in all the return of my battle, so that the wildness of my veritable leap 
only served as a great betrayal. I saw him from the midst of my act, meet it with a divination, and on the perception that even now he only guessed, and that the window was still to his own eyes free. I let the impulse flame up to convert the climax of his dismay into the very proof of his liberation. No more, no more, no more, I shrieked as I tried to press him against me to my visitant. Is she here? Miles panted as he caught with his sealed eyes the direction of my words. Then as his strange she staggered me and with a gasp I echoed it. Miss Jessel, Miss Jessel, he with a sudden fury gave me back. I seized, stupefied his supposition, some sequel to what we had done to Flora, but this made me only want to show him that it was better still than that. It's not Miss Jessel, but it's at the window, straight before us. It's there, the coward horror, there for the last time. At this, after a second in which his head made the movement of a baffled dog's on a scent, and then gave a frantic little shake for air and light. He was at me in a white rage, bewildered, glaring vainly over the place and missing wholly, though it now, to my sense, filled the room like the taste of poison, the wide, overwhelming presence. It's he! I was so determined to have all my proof that I flashed into ice to challenge him. Who do you mean by he? Peter Quint, you devil! His face gave again, round the room, its convulsed supplication. Where? They are in my ears still his supreme surrender of the name and his tribute to my devotion. What does he matter now, my own? What will he ever matter? I have you. I launched at the beast, but he has lost you forever. Then for the demonstration of my work, there, there, I said to Miles. But he had already jerked straight round, stared, glared again, and seen but the quiet day. With the stroke of the loss I was so proud of, he uttered the cry of a creature, hurled over an abyss, and the grasp with which I recovered him might have been that of catching him in his fall. I caught him, yes, I held him, it may be imagined with what a passion, but at the end of a minute, I began to feel what it truly was that I held. We were alone with the quiet day, and his little heart, dispossessed, had stopped. Recording by Sandra Cullum End of the Turn of the Screw by Henry James When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.